After we got engaged, we were going through premarital counseling, and I suggested that we go through Financial Peace University. I had accumulated a lot of student loan debt, I had bought all kinds of foolish things on credit, made 90-day tithing challenge commitments that I never followed through with, made commitments to capital campaigns that I never followed through with. After we took financial peace, we just decided that we were going to commit our ways to God and follow really what He says in His Word about money. In 2014, um, we had our first son, Woods Alexander Tucker, and he was born eight weeks premature. He was in the NICU for 23 days, and then we landed in the emergency room for emergency surgery. Exactly a month later, we did it all over again. It's never easy seeing your baby on a ventilator, five weeks old and five tiny pounds. I was barely functioning. But I, I remember thinking, you know, there's so many like parents that here we're sitting with and they're worrying about money. I mean, it's not cheap to have your child in the hospital for many, many days and to have a lot of surgeries. I didn't have to worry about money. I got to worry about Woods. We had learned through FPU to save for a rainy day. And 23 days in the NICU and multiple surgeries is certainly a rainy day. And we were able to cash flow and use what we had in savings to pay for the bills as they came in. We're in what we feel is a good financial place because of the steps we began to take. It takes discipline, it takes obedience, and it takes sacrifice. It takes telling yourself no now so that you can say yes to a whole lot of other things later in life. I wanted y'all, I wanted y'all to meet the Tuckers. I know you think somehow we bring in Hollywood people to do these videos. No, we bring them in from Effingham, y'all. This is one of our Effingham couples. This is Daniel and Jelaine and their two kids. And we're all, we're just thankful that they're here with us today. Hey, how long ago did y'all go through Financial Peace University? I believe it was seven years ago. Seven years ago. Yes, okay. And then you've had all these kids and it's been a blessing, but you've been using these principles ever since. Yes, sir. And you guys are leading FPU groups for us, right? Yes, sir. Ever since. What is the one thing that you think has been a, a, just a huge blessing to your marriage from Financial Peace University? Biggest thing was it gave us a uh, common language and a way to communicate with our finances and otherwise in our marriage. Dude, that is that's awesome. I mean, just to have a way to talk about it without fussing and fighting and throwing and all that kind of stuff, just a language is, is a great blessing, right? Okay, and, and th this is Woods right here, right? Come on, Woods, give it to me, buddy. High five it. Hey, there it is, he's doing great. Now he's doing super, you know, you got Wilkes over here, you've got a beautiful family, your son came out of in, uh, NICU and man, he's just doing awesome. Yes, sir. Uh, any, anything, would, would you recommend taking financial peace and the blessings that come to all of these folks out here today? Absolutely, absolutely. We've been debt free five years this first uh, of February. So. Get out of here, man. That's amazing, that's amazing. Okay, so here's the trick question. You got your son, he's doing great. Great family, uh, God's bless your finances. Would you say that taking the Financial Peace University was a blessing for you and your family? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, let's thank God for these guys and send them on their way. All right, y'all, thank y'all. Love you. All right, big boy, I gotta preach. You see, he wants my job. I can see it right now. He's probably gonna have it one day too. Hey, uh, I wanna just uh, thank the Lord for uh, the Tucker family and just they're, they're working out some of the stuff we're working on right now, which is kind of awesome. Uh, I wanna give a shout out to everybody on all seven campuses today. Uh, for those of you who are watching the live stream because you're too far away to get here, man, God bless you. We're glad you're with us today. 
If you're watching from home because you got the flu, thanks for not coming. Appreciate that. <laughs> Love you. Enjoy the message. Be blessed. Stay home. Get better. All right. Uh, if you're watching today because you're just lazing around the house, God is watching you. You better get over here. You know that ain't the same. Come on. Come and worship with us. It is great for us all to be together today and to share the second message in this series that we're calling How to Make a Monster Listen. Now, if you're brand new to our church, this is part of an initiative that we launched back in January to address the number one marriage killer in America, which is financial stress. And honestly, financial stress is caused by either not knowing how to manage money or knowing how to manage money but not doing anything about it, or you just get hit by some hurricane that you couldn't see coming. Now, Dave Algar reported last uh, week, uh, well, let me just say this. We started back in January uh, taking financial peace all together, and I'm telling you, 85% of our church is doing this together right now, and it is making a huge difference. Uh, Dave Algar shared with us last week that in just the first five weeks, our church family paid off over a million dollars in non-mortgage debt in five weeks. I'm talking about just dumb, life-sucking debt in five weeks. Let's praise the Lord for that. Awesome. Obviously, there are some bold souls that are learning how to manage God, uh, their money and are actually doing something about it, and God is blessing that. Now, as we work through these nine classes, we are learning the wisdom of God for managing money and then how to put that wisdom in play. And, you know, we're five weeks in. It's too late to jump into an FBU class right now, but we'll be launching our next flight of classes soon. And, friends, if you take this course and you do what you learn, it will change your life. Now, here are the five principles that we're going to see emerging in the lives of compassionate Christians as we master managing our money God's way. First of all, we're going to learn to trust God completely. Trust God, not visa. Can I get amen? <laughs> you know, they, not visa, not stuff, not having everything the Jones have, not listen to everything those jokers on television say. You've got to have it. You've got to have it right now. We're going to trust the Lord, not them. Number two. Save money consistently. Friends, this is the discipline that makes all the difference. This is what distinguishes us from normal people in America. And normal people are broke because they don't save. Uh, number three, we're going to recognize God's ownership over everything. And if we do that, we will avoid the life-sucking stress and confusion that accompanies materialism and idolatry. Number four, we're going to embrace our God-given mission. We're going to live and use our resources in a way that makes a difference in this world because this world is not our home. Amen? Amen? We are deployed here on a mission. This is not our home. Where we're going home will be forever. And then number five, we're going to commit to lifelong generosity. Man, once we discover what God blesses, we want to do that for life so that we'll enjoy a blessed life our whole life. Now, you're probably thinking, great, Cam, sure, I already know all that. What I need are some lead goals that get me moving toward these outcomes. And friends, if you're in financial peace, you are already getting very specific coaching. There are seven steps in this financial peace plan that we're all studying as a church. Step one, save $1,000 to start an emergency fund. And let me tell you, hundreds of our families have already taken that step. Families who didn't have $1,000 set aside for emergencies 30 days ago who now do. And man, when you get that little savings thing in place, stress will drop. Step number two, pay off all non-mortgage debt using a debt snowball. Now, this is a strategy for paying off your smallest debt. Then you take the money you use for that and attack the next smallest debt and the next smallest debt and the next smallest debt till you don't have any more consumer debt and you don't want any more consumer debt. Step three, save up three to six months of expenses. Whatever your run rate is, you want to save three to six months of that in the bank so that if anything terrible happens, you'll be ready. Now, can you imagine the peace 
that the average American would enjoy if they had three to six months of living expenses saved up so if they got laid off in their job or went through some kind of a crazy tragedy, they could go a half a year without having to worry about a house payment. Can you imagine that? Let me answer that question for you. 76% of Americans cannot imagine that because they have not saved anything. They are living paycheck to paycheck according to CNN money. Maybe step number four, invest 15% of your household income into a Roth IRA or some pre-tax retirement plan. Let me ask you a question about this. Who do you think are the smartest people in the world? What country has the smartest people in the world in it? Oh, y'all are faking humility. You know the answer to that, right? America, yeah. You know why I would say that? Because we are number one in confidence. We're not number one in math or in economics, apparently, but we are the most confident country in the world, right? However, according to the Wall Street Journal, our people who live in Ireland save on average 19.3% of their income. People who live in France save 16% of their annual income. How many times have we had to bail these jokers out of war and they save better than we do? Spain, 13%. Anybody want to guess what the personal savings average is for Americans? Oh, good guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> That's right. Now, of course, this number includes Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett and Bill and Melinda Gates and all of that action, right? According to Susie Orman on CNBC, 85% of Americans have less than $10,000 in savings. 85%. 35% have less than 1000 bucks. They do not have a $1,000 emergency fund. 34% of Americans have zero save for a rainy day. Nothing. Think about that. 69% of the people in this country, I would say in this room, but we're way smarter than average. Can I get amen? Well, we're followers of Jesus. We read the Bible. We're smart, right? But 69% of the people in America have less than $1,000 saved up for an emergency. Now, friends, hundreds of us who are taking Financial Peace University have already accumulated that $1,000 emergency fund. And I just want to say, dude, that's baby step number one. Way to go. That makes you, that gives you more margin than 69% of the people who live in this country. And then once we get good at savings, man, the rewards are huge. Step number five, start funding college funds for your kids. A SCAD student tell me when he graduated, he had $140,000 in student loans. Dude, that's a house. And if we're saving for that, we can help. Baby step number six, pay off your home early. Now, I have a friend out at the Midway campus, and Steve, you know who I'm talking about. But anyway, we're out hunting one day, and he was telling me that he had just paid off his house because his dad taught him that you're supposed to pay your house off by the time you're 50. I was like, what? He said, yeah. My dad said, men pay their house off by the time they're 50. I'm like, dog, I wish my dad had told me that. I never heard that before. I mean, here this brother is, got his house. It would affect the size house you built, right? I mean, if you wanted to have it paid for by 50, and now his house is paid for. He's stacking up money for retirement. I'm still trudging along like a knucklehead making payments, right? I wish I'd taken FPU years ago. But dude, I'm on a hunt now. Baby step number seven, build wealth and give. Build enough money that you can be generous, guilt-free. Now listen, if you think this is not possible for you, I'm telling you, you're probably lying to yourself. You're probably lying to yourself. I read an article this week about an amazing woman in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, who had, it was just a great illustration of what happens when you take God's word seriously and then you follow through with one baby step after another. Now, this is Miss Osceola McCarty. She had to leave school in the fifth grade 
to support her mother and her aunt who both had health issues and she ran an in-home laundry business just to survive, just to take care of her mom and her aunt. This woman also received an honorary doctorate from Harvard University and Southern Mississippi University. She was presented the Presidential Citizens Medal, the second highest civilian award in America. She was presented that by the President of the United States at a special service at the White House. She received a United Nations Award for Educational Commitment, the Mississippi Citizen of the Century Award, and scores of other recognitions and honors because she applied a biblical principle that we're going to talk about today. Ms. McCarty gave what was at the time the single largest donation in the history of Southern Mississippi University by an African-American. And her example is what Ted Turner said motivated him to commit a billion dollars to charity. And she was able to do all that because she learned at her church in Hattiesburg to save consistently. Say it with me, everybody. Save consistently. The only job she ever had was taking in laundry at her home, which she did for 75 years. She never learned to drive. She never owned a car. She walked to church. She walked to the market where she shopped. She walked to the bank where she saved. And she amassed an estate that included a paid-for house, $250,000 in cash. And toward the end of her life, you know, she left the arrangements for a big percentage of that to go to her church. She wanted to leave some to three cousins. And then she donated $150,000 to the Southern Mississippi University to establish a scholarship fund to enable needy African-American students to be able to get an education that she never could. Now, she always wanted to be a nurse, but life happened to her and she just couldn't get there. But she was able to make a way for others. And because she made that donation, a lot of other people added to it and about 100 students have graduated from Southern Mississippi University because of her scholarship fund. She was able to make a way for others to enjoy what she had not enjoyed because she saved consistently. Very little education. But she asked her banker, a guy by the name of Paul Laughlin, to help her understand how to make her savings grow. And he counseled her on how to invest her savings. And she followed that wise counsel and God just blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed her. Now, I love what she says in an interview. She says, there's a lot of talk about self-esteem these days, but it seems pretty basic to me. If you want to feel proud of yourself, you ought to do things you can be proud of <laughs> because feelings follow actions. Now, friends, she learned to act like people who are good stewards of their money at her church. And then she did things that made God proud of her and set an example that any of us could follow if we chose to. Now, when you believe in God's wisdom and you choose to live by those principles, your situation does not downgrade your beliefs. Man, you don't negotiate your beliefs just because you're in a tough situation. You don't compromise your beliefs just because it's hard to be faithful. In fact, your principles guide and affect how you live in the midst of uptimes and downtimes. Now, Ms. McCarty, and frankly, many, many, many of us have learned that you can trust the principles of God's word where times are good, and dude, you can trust him when trusting him is hard. So this weekend, I want us to explore a story from the Old Testament that shows us the wisdom of God during financial good times and financial bad times and how following these principles, especially the principle of saving consistently, can make all the difference in the world. So open your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. There's a blue Bible around you somewhere close by. If you didn't have a Bible, grab that one. Turn to page 34. You'll be good to go. We're going to unpack the story of how Joseph led the Egyptian empire through an economic hurricane by saving 
consistently. Save it with me, everybody. Saving consistently. Now, some of y'all might remember the story of Joseph DreamWorks. I did a movie about it, so you can watch that with your kids if you don't know the story. It's awesome. It's a story about a guy who had that Technicolor dream coat. Uh, his brothers didn't like him because his dumb dad showed partiality to the one kid and uh, treated him better than everybody else. And so they got the sibling rivalry thing going crazy, kidnapped Joseph, sold him as a slave, put blood on his coat, told his daddy he'd been killed by a wild animal. His dad literally grieves most of his life while Joseph is, is taken as a slave to Egypt. Then he gets thrown into prison on false charges because he did the right thing instead of the wrong thing. And that's where he's sitting when our story begins. Look at verse uh, chapter 41. Chapter 41 begins on the night that Pharaoh, the leader of the Egyptian empire, has a very disturbing dream. Eventually he calls Joseph because he heard that Joseph had this special connection with God. And because of that, he had a special ability to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh tells him about this nightmare. He says, Joseph, bro, I had this nightmare about seven fat, healthy, beautiful cows being cannibalized by seven scrawny skin and bone cows. And Pharaoh asked Joseph what it meant. And Joseph said, bro, now when you get, that's not in the Bible, but when you get to heaven, you'll hear that's what he said, bro. God's trying to tell you something. God's trying to tell you something. Those fat cows represent seven years of success. This, this empire is going on a feeding frenzy, bro. We're going to have seven years of economic plenty. And those seven scrawny cows that come and eat them means that it's going to be seven years of just recession, depression, famine, seven great years, followed by seven terrible years. And Pharaoh was so grateful for Joseph's interpretation of this dream and, and so impressed by his understanding of the wisdom of God concerning finances that, man, he takes Joseph out of prison, elevates him to literally the second in command of the, of the Egyptian empire, asks him to personally, you know, help economically prepare the, the empire of Egypt for the seven hard years that are going to be coming after seven great years. And man, this is where Joseph begins to apply the principles of God's word during good times that will sustain the Egyptian economy during bad times that are a coming. All right. Now look at verse 47. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully, just like God had said. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt, and he stored it in, in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Now, if you read through this story carefully, you'll see Joseph put a number on what he was going to save. 20%. We save in 20% every year for the next seven years. Do 20%. Now, that's radical. But it's also wise because Joseph knew we're going to need this in the future. And so here's what I hope you learn from Joseph today. When you're making money, save some. Save some. If you're in high school, save some. Newlyweds, save some. Social Security, save some. That's what Joseph did. That's what he told Pharaoh. Man, our economy is roaring, bro. We've got seven great years ahead, but we need to save, save, save. You know why? Because when the economy is roaring and everybody's doing good, the temptation is to buy, buy, buy. And Joseph said, we've got to be smart about this. Man, when things are going good, that's the easiest time to save. Now, how many of y'all have noticed that your personal economy seems like it does the same thing as our national economy? It cycles. It cycles, right? Because there's times when everything's going good and everybody's working and wages are going up and praise the Lord. And they are almost always followed by hard times when people are getting laid off and jobs are going away and divorces hitting people and money gets tight. 
I remember a guy in our church years ago lost his job. I think he goes to our Effingham campus now. I heard he lost his job, man. I'm praying with him about his job. But the joker's not worried. He's at peace. I was kind of impressed. He's lost his job. Doesn't seem to bother him too much. Got two kids in college. He wasn't panicking about it. I asked him, I said, dude, are you, are you worried about losing your house? He said, no. We got enough savings so we can make it for a year. I was like, really? Won the lottery, did you? I mean, uh, <laughs> how in the world did that work? I was so impressed that he and his wife had saved up a year of their living expenses. And it was just sitting there waiting for this emergency. And I was so convicted because I did not have that kind of peace because I was not disciplined as a saver like he was. Now, I think this is the first time I ever remember anybody my age who was on baby step number three, who had three to six to 12 months of living expenses in an emergency fund. And he lost his lucrative job and was experiencing deep financial peace in a difficult time because he used the good times to save up money for the future. Now, friends, just like Miss McCarty, this was a principle for him. He consistently saved as a spiritual discipline. It was a spiritual discipline for him, good times and bad. Now, if you've been around Compassion for long, you've heard us talk about the 10-10-80 plan. Say it with me, y'all. 10-10-80 plan. The first 10% is your, is your tithe. It goes to Jesus through your church, unlocks all kinds of blessings from God, and not just financial blessings. This is the smartest thing you can do if you want to be financially stable in the future is, is tithe. Now, you don't have to believe it. Uh, a lot of people don't believe it. Uh, I'm just telling you, everybody who tithes does believe it. All right, I believe it, and I think everybody who tithes does. Next 10% of your income goes to your savings. You pay yourself. Pay yourself so you have resources to fall back on. I'm not talking about holding money for a little while so you can buy a jet ski. I'm talking about saving it, saving it. We ain't messing with this. And then the 80% is what you live on. Dude, this is what you live on. You just decide. That's the number. Whatever I make, that's what we're going to live on, 80% of it. Now, friends, this is the wisdom of God. And we see it right here in the story of Joseph. Look at verse 49. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Now, these are the seven years of financial good time. These are the pre-recession years in Egypt. Man, they got bumper crops every year, house, real estate prices, uh, values are going up. It's awesome. But Joseph was wise enough during this time to start making storm preparations. And friends, we would be wise to see times of prosperity as a signal to prepare for a financial storm. Now, let me see the hands of everybody here who's 30 years old and younger. 30 years old and younger. Raise your hand if you're 30 and younger. Look at all these good-looking young people, little kitties. We're all glad y'all here, man. This is awesome. If you're 30 years old, think about what has happened financially in our country during your lifetime. Do you remember how our economy got whacked on 9-11-2001 when the World Trade Centers got hit, the Pentagon got hit, a feeling... Pennsylvania jet crash there. You were 13 years old. You may not remember that the stock market plummeted. Unemployment rose. There was a launch of a worldwide war on terror. Friends, that was 17 years ago. Generally, though, over the years, things started to improve in our economy. Stock value grew. Market went up. Employment rates went down. Unemployment rates went down. Uh, home builders went on a building spree especially in coastal communities like ours. Credit was easy to find. Financial institutions were incentivizing loans with insane practices, giving people 105% of the deal. You wonder, how could people be crazy enough to do that? You know the answer to that, commissions. They're making commissions off of it. Man, I had business guys in the church confront me 
because the church wasn't leveraging debt than just buying property, buy a church camp, buy this, buy that. Man, money's easy to get, let's go. I didn't take that advice and they looked down on me. I think they thought I was weak or afraid because I didn't take that counsel. Of course, they're all bankrupt now, but I mean, you know, I, that's what they wanted me to do. Now, 30-somethings, you remember what that was like because many of you were just getting out of college, uh, you know, back in 2010, just thinking about getting married, buying a house because you could get a 105% loan. And instead of using those years of prosperity as a time to increase reserves and save for a rainy day, Listen, my business buddies did not practice the 10, 10, 80 plan. They said they did, but they didn't. They weren't giving 10% of the gross to the Lord and saving 10% for the future. No, they're just plowing it all back in because that's what the world said. Man, we're on a feed and frenzy. You've got to put it all back in. We're all going to be rich quick. This is going to go on forever. But it never goes on forever. Can I get an amen? amen? Say it with me, y'all. It never goes on forever. And so many Americans use that time of prosperity to buy, charge, finance, spend, save. Psh, no, we do that later. Now, here's a verse you ought to write down from the Good News translation of the Bible. This is one of the principles Joseph employed in Egypt. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Now, some of y'all are thinking, Cam, you shouldn't say stupid in church. Get over it, bro. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they can get their hands on it. This verse ought to be on refrigerators all over our region tomorrow, okay? Now, friends, if these are good times for you, this ought to be a time when you, like Joseph, are acting wisely and saving money and lowering your debts and getting your financial house in order right now during this era of blessing in your life because almost everybody eventually cycles through an economic storm. I mean, Money Magazine said that every 10 years, 78% of us will get hit by an economic storm. Think about that. Every 10 years, many of us are gonna go through sudden unemployment, catastrophic medical expenses, death, divorce. It can be devastating. I mean, look down your row, man. Eight out of the 10 people on your row are gonna go through that in the next 10 years. Now let's look at what the story and see what Joseph did. After leading the nation in saving and stockpiling through the whole seven years of good times, in verse 53, the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. That's economic, that economy cycle, just like ours does. And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands as well. Israel, uh, Persia, Babylon, everywhere. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. Now, when all Egypt began to feel the famine, so they went a while before they felt it. But when they began to feel the famine, people cried out to the Pharaoh for food. And then Pharaoh told the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you to do. And man, when the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And then all the countries around Egypt came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all of the world. Now, there are three principles that we can find in these verses that I'm telling you, we need to learn about saving for freedom and famine and the future. And the first is when you're making money, save some money. But the second principle is when you need your savings, use them. When you need them, use them. Now, this sounds like a no-brainer, but I'm telling you, some people have trouble spending the money they've saved up. I mean, we've all read these crazy stories about people who got all kinds of money, but it's so tight and they're so proud of that stack of money that they can't bear to e even use it for their family. 
They can't bear to even use it for a noble cause. This is what I loved about what Daniel and Jelaine said in the story earlier. Man, they took FPU. They made those baby steps. They learned, they began to save some money. And then they had a little boy that needed some medical attention. Uh, little Woods had a need. And they didn't have any trouble taking all those savings and seeing that as God's provision in the past to pay for that baby's medical bills in the present. Now, I love what Daniel said. He said, you know, we learn to say no now so that we could say yes to a whole lot of important things later in life. They had no idea that testing time was going to come when they started their $1,000 emergency fund. They started their three to six months saving stuff. They didn't see this coming in the future. God did. And that's why God coached them through Financial Peace University and through sermons just like this one, just like he's coaching you right now. And you can listen or you can just go, whatever. You've done it before. But if this will be the day when you go, mm, well, we're going to have a little family, family meeting as soon as we get home. Dude, it'll make a difference. Now, I know I've unpacked this before, but I love this passage in Proverbs 6 where it says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. The ants don't have a commander. There's no overseer. There's no ruler. And yet it stores its provisions in the summer. It gathers its food at the harvest time. Dude, ants are savers. They save in the summer. Then when winter comes, they eat what they save. Now, listen, you get a magnifying glass out. Go to an anthill. Look down there. You will not see one ant stopping in front of a psychiatrist's office. Got to go in there and talk. I'm a little depressed. I'm stressed out, weeping. Oh, man, the kids are eating all the dead bugs up. That's what the dead bugs are there for. They prepare in the up times. So in the down times, they're confident about the future. Now, you probably never heard an ant say this, but I've heard them say, we're going to use our reserves. And then when spring comes, God is going to provide something more for us to eat. And we'll save it up in the summer and we'll be set for next winter. Now, friends, if this plan works for ants when they work to the plan, imagine how the blessing of God will flow when his sons and his daughters use this plan. And then he just blesses them on top of it. Now, Joseph teaches us a number of things. Number one, saving money is absolutely necessary. Listen, storms are going to come. You have no control over that. What you do have control over is whether you'll be prepared or not. Saving money is a decision. When Pharaoh heard the bad news, he had a decision to make. When he gave Joseph that responsibility, Joseph had a decision to make. And listen, you got a decision to make. When I look back over all the crazy things that have happened in my life with Sarah and our three boys, I am so glad that I learned to save something for the future. I'm glad that my mother, and she's sitting right over there right now, my mom taught me to give a tithe of every dollar you ever make, and I've given a, a tithe of everything we've made. And let me tell you, I think that's why God has blessed, blessed, blessed us. In fact, he's blessed us so much that I'm going to do something next week at church that I will guarantee you you have never seen done before. You don't know what it is? Come next week and I'll tell you, all right? <laughs> I promise you this, if you live to be a thousand, you will never forget what we do next week, all right? I'm glad I learned somewhere that 10% is my savings. Now, Sarah and I have not always saved 10%, but we have always had an emergency fund and thank God, because we had three boys who were in a contest to see who could break the most bones. I'm telling you, St. Joseph, they didn't even put our files up. They just left them out because they knew one of the boys was going to be coming in soon. And God used that emergency fund to save us over and over and over again. And then 80% is what you live on. Now, here's the thing. You've got to make a decision about this number. If this is the number, then that's good. And that affects what kind of house you can live in and what kind of car you can drive, what kind of vacations you can take. But if this is the number, 
Now, you just look away from that number. You don't have to make a decision. Just, just look away, and your spending will go up, 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 85, 90, 95, 100, 105%. And then if we had done that, we'd be living in the same chaos that is normal in this country. So really, when we made a decision to tithe and save, we found out that saving money protects our family. It protects our family. Friends, saving equals time. That's what cash is. It's time. You've got some money set aside that gives you time to pray. It gives you time to think. It gives God time to work. It gives you time to figure stuff out. This is why Solomon said in the house of the wise, there are stores. Say it with me, everybody. Stores. They stored up. They don't hoard it up, but they got something stored up. You know, choice food and oil. Now, they've already st stored it in advance, knowing a day is going to come when we're going to need this. Now, here's what we're learning to do. Hundreds of us have already got that $1,000 emergency fund in place. And if you have, way to go. If you haven't done this discipline yet, I want to encourage you to make a decision today. We're going to get started this week. We're going to save a thousand bucks in the next month. If we have to eat bologna sandwiches every meal for the next 30 days, we're going to quit spending money on unnecessary things until we get this emergency fund saved up. Let's make a game out of it. Let's pray for it at dinner every night so the kids will hold us accountable. Make it a family goal. Celebrate it with your kids so that they'll learn to be smart from you. You don't want them learning from me. You don't have your kids learning great spiritual principles from a pastor. Dude, you want them thinking, my mama taught me that. My dad taught me that. Let them learn it from you. All right, here's one last thought. When we were reading through Genesis 41, did you notice that it wasn't just Egypt that Joseph supplied for? I mean, people came from all over. People came from Israel. His family came from Israel to find food because they've been hit by famine as well. Verse 57 says, all the countries in the, came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in the whole world. Joseph didn't say, hey, 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 I got some saved up, but that's just for me and my family. I mean, you've seen people do this. Because they have a hard time, they just close up, pull the drawbridge up. Oh, no, by God, this is just for us. I'm taking care of me and my wife and my son, John, and his wife, us four, no more. That's it. That's not how God thinks. God's heart is moved by compassion. Godly people are moved by compassion, too. Now, if you read the rest of this story, you'll see that Joseph opened those supplies up from Egypt to the whole world. God sent his family from Israel back to Egypt. His family survived because the guy they sold into slavery, God used him to save the family that Jesus would come from. Friends, God used that savings in Egypt, that generosity in Egypt to literally protect the family from whom Jesus would come into the world 1,200 years later. Now, here's what I hope you'll take home today. When you're making money, save some. When you need your savings, use them. And number three, when you see a need, be generous. This is one of the things you can use savings for. When you see a real need, be generous. Now, this is an attitude that's really close to the heart of God, and we see it all through the Bible. Did you know that back in the Old Testament, farmers were instructed when they harvested their fields to leave some. Leave some of the grain in the field. Leave some of the grapes in the vineyard so the under-resourced people in their community could come and pick that leftover grain and pick those leftover grapes and feed their children and feed their families with it. That generosity was built in to the ethics of the people of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it says that the early church, all the believers had one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. They shared everything they had. Now, they had things. They saved. So when people were in need, they were able to share. 
They had something to share. Their, compa their compassion, though, was so strong that there were no needy persons among them. And from time to time, people who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money uh, from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed as anyone might have a need. Listen, that sounds like our church. People come, they give, and it enables us to bless, bless, bless people who are in desperate need. I was with my buddy Tim Liston. Tim is a pastor at New Hope Church in Pearland, Texas, which is just south of Houston. That's his wife, Jane. They are awesome. I saw him last week at a retreat that we were both attending, and he told me how much he appreciated the money that our church sent to his church during Hurricane Harvey because we have savings. Now, you remember Houston got slammed. You may not realize there are still people today who are out of their homes because those areas have just been decimated by the flood. And that church has distributed over a million dollars to desperate people in that community who are in need because churches like ours saw that need and had some savings and were able to send help. But I'll tell you, there's a need a lot closer to home that I want to ask you to help me with. And I want you to help me with it next week. And before I tell you about it, I want to show you a Super Bowl commercial. This is a Super Bowl commercial that was funded by a member of our church to talk about one of the things that we do to help people in our community. Take a look at this. Hi, my name is Melina Stone, and I'm hoping to catch your attention during the big game. I want to introduce you to PAC, People of Action Caring for Kids. We provide over 3,000 care bags a month to children who are hungry, sick, or in foster care right here in Savannah. These children need your help. Make a donation or come out and help us pack care bags. Visit PackSavannah.com for more information. Dude, that is an awesome ministry. Now, Melina and Dudley started that ministry, her husband Dudley. They started that ministry several years ago, and it is just an amazing ministry. They give food in these bags, just like this, to 3,000 public school students who go to bed hungry every night. Now, you know, we hear about this in Africa. We hear about this in, in India, and we go, oh, that's awful. In Savannah, Statesboro, Effingham, Midway, there are children who only eat regularly at school. They get a school breakfast. They get a school lunch. They do not consistently eat at home. They do not consistently eat at home on the weekends. They come back from the weekends lethargic because they are hungry. And they have to get through a couple meals before their personality starts to brighten up again. And that's happening in our community. I am sick to death to think about it. But it happens right here in our community. Now, we can argue about the reasons for that, and we should be arguing about it. We should be angry about it. But the bottom line is there are little kids in Savannah, in Statesboro, suffering because they have a lack of food in our community. And just like Joseph, we can make a difference. Now, when we decided to give our church this gift of all goods through Financial Peace University together, we thought, dude, how cool would it be if we symbolically use some of our savings like Joseph did to bless people in our world and our PAC ministry out of the East Campus, like I said, they take these little bags of groceries to 3,000 kids a month in our community who would not eat on the weekends if it wasn't for our church, which is awesome. Let's thank God for that. It's amazing. Amazing. But what would happen? I mean, the East Campus is leading the way, praise the Lord. But what would happen if every campus got in on this? And so here's what I want to ask you to do for the sake of some of the most helpless people in our community. Next week on every campus, we're going to be collecting food just like this 
in the lobbies that will go to kids in Chatham, Bryan, Effingham, Bullock, and Liberty County. We're going to deliver to these kids at school. And friends, this is what we're going to give these kids. It's a care package. It's got milk, juice, mac and jack, canned vegetables and fruit, stuff that, you know, a kid uh, can make for a meal over the weekend. Uh, and we're going to collect it right here at church next Sunday. And if you're willing to play ball, I want to encourage you to help us with this project. Now, here's what we're going to do. If you go to the East Campus or our downtown campus, we want you to bring crackers. Don't bring a loaf of bread, single pack of crackers, right? Not a big box like the big boy here. This is what we're looking for, all right? Single serving and single serve non-perishable milk. This is what kids love the most. Not a jug, bro. Single serve, all right? That's what we're looking for. Now, if you go to our Effingham campus, instant oatmeal. We want the little packs, not the big canister here. Uh, little packs, juice boxes, not jugs. And of course, the thing that kids love the most, non-perishable single serve milk, okay? If you go to Henderson, and all y'all go to Henderson, we are gonna rock the Mac and Jack by the millions next week, y'all. But we need little dudes, not, not the big guy, all right? And of course, little boxes of milk. Uh, if you're our Statesboro or Midway or Spanish service, we need canned vegetables, uh, juice boxes, and of course, the single serve milk, right? Now, hey, doesn't Brittany look good compared to that Pastorosaurus Rex we had up here just a second ago? I'm telling you, she's awesome, right? Now, this flyer is in your program today. Now, let's think about our church for a minute. You know what the great thing is about being a part of a big church? you can make a big difference. Amen? Listen, anything we focus on, dude, is going to get better. And hungry kids in our community is something we should all be able to focus on. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to go to the grocery store this week. Now, everything in this bag costs less than a dollar. You, you buy everything in this bag, every one of these different things for less than a dollar. Let's just say we all spent 10 bucks next week just buying single-serve milk, Mac and Jack, crackers, stuff like that. Ten bucks. There are 8,000 of us who go to this church. Next week, we could collect 80,000 pieces of food like this. And we've warned the grocery stores around us. Compassion Christians are coming. Get ready. All right, get ready, bro. We told them at Sam's. We told them at Walmart. We told them at the grocery stores around here. I want to encourage you just, you just think, Lord, is it possible for me to do $10 worth? If all of us just bought $10 worth of this kind of food, next weekend we'll have collection sections uh, set up in all of the lobbies at all of our campuses next weekend. Then the week after that, in every lobby, we're going to have tables set up and we're going to have all this food and the bags and little love notes and all that kind of stuff. We're going to pack these bags and I am praying that we'll be able to bless 10,000 children in one week because of the compassion we see in this story. 10,000 kids in our community feeling the compassion of Jesus because we were wise enough to save enough that we could spend 10 bucks on providing a meal for some of these kids. Now, you know, back in Joseph's day, people lived and died because of the wisdom in his mind and the compassion in his heart. And that's going to happen in our community as well. You know, jo Joseph was Jewish. And the Jewish people have an interesting custom. It's a tradition, really. It's called the Havdalah, and it's, it's kind of cool. Havdalah is a celebration of Passover. Uh, not Passover, uh, the, the Shabbat, the Sabbath day. 
And at the end of the Sabbath day, they have a big family meal and it's kind of a celebration of the family and how God's blessed our family and how cool it is that God has taken such good care of us and all that. And at the end of the Sabbath meal, they have this uh, Havdalah cup and they fill it with wine or grape juice or whatever, right? And so they fill this thing up symbolic of how God has blessed us. And they believe, and we, as we believe, that God will fill our cup. You know, he, he'll take care of us. He'll take care of our family. If we trust him, if we obey his word, he, he makes a commitment to, to provide for us and to care for us. And of course, this is a small cup. This is a large cup. Who decides what kind of cup you get? Well, you do, kind of. I mean, depending on how you're willing to work, depending on how you're willing to save, depending on how you're willing to trust the Lord, how you're willing to pray. And God does, kind of. I mean, because he decides how to bless. And, and you know, so this is kind of between you and the Lord. Now, you know what I'm praying for all y'all? Big cup. Can you get amen? amen? Of course, that's big obedience now. That's big obedience. But here's what they do at the high of the law ceremony. At the end of the day, the dad talks about how God has blessed us. He's provided for us. He's given us a home. He's given us food. He's given us education. He's blessed us in every way. And then he fills that cup up. And then he just keeps filling it. He keeps filling it. And it runs over until it fills up the saucer. You know what that's symbolic of? God always, God always gives us more than we need so that we can be a blessing to others. And if you're willing to use what he puts in your cup for others, he'll just keep pouring it and pouring it and pouring it so that you can not only take care of your needs, but you can be good like Joseph was and take care of the needs of other people as well. And then he'll receive the glory for where your over, the way your overflow blesses your world. Now, friends, it is a privilege to wisely work and earn and save and give in ways that bless our family and show God's love to the world. And every one of us has that privilege right here. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time you've given us to be together today. And Lord, to think about something that just is so counterintuitive in our culture. Lord, some of the greatest companies in the world Every day, their mission is to convince us not to save, but to spend, 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 spend. And Lord, I just pray that as wise people, we will all turn and swim upstream. We'll go counter to the culture. And Father, we will, we will work hard and save consistently and live on less than we make so that that kind of financial stress doesn't poison our families and poison our marriages and lead us to a life of disappointment because that's where idolatry always takes us. I pray, God, that there will be people here today who will make a decision about saving that will reduce the stress in their lives and increase your glory in the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.